0: All right. Well, we are in Second Peter this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, your electronic device. If you got out the door, you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand real high. And Caleb uh, will be happy to let you borrow so you can follow with us. We're going to finish out chapter one this morning, Lord willing. Um, also, for the next three weeks, uh, I am not going to be here and... Uh, in one sense, I apologize for missing out, I'm ditching you guys again. I know some of you guys know that in the front of the summer, of uh, my daughter graduating, we had left and did some family trips and travels, and um, grateful for our seasonal way. Uh, actually, Becca, today's her last full day, and so um, Christy and Becca again on a plane tomorrow, and she starts her next chapter of adulting life, and uh, you know, pursuing her nursing career and all that God has for her. Uh, But my oldest son, Noah, is getting married. I think some of you guys know that. So he's getting married in about less than two weeks. And so Ben and I will get on a plane on Wednesday. And so that's my son, Noah, and his fiancee and his lovely mom. Um, And so next Saturday is the wedding. You can pray for me. I I have the honor of officiating their wedding. Um, And so we're going to be gone for a little bit. Uh, but listen, I hooked you guys up with two, I promise, with two amazing men of God. Uh, I'm, I'm bummed to uh, miss hearing them in person. We'll watch online. Uh, but for next Sunday and the, uh, the next two Sundays, uh, Chaplain Rob Johnson is going to be our guest speaker. He's going to be doing a special series, a two-part series through Habakkuk. And so um, looking forward to that for you. And then the first... Uh, Sunday in October, uh, Chaplain Wayne Hall is going to be our guest speaker, and so I promise I I got you the best of the best, you guys, so don't ditch church, okay? I'm going to set up a camera up here, I'm going to be watching, make sure you guys are all here, we'll take attendance, Um, but uh, anyways, covet your prayers for our travels and for my son and our family, looking forward to that. Uh, Thank you in advance for understanding, but again, um, looking forward to just uh, so grateful. Uh, thank you, Rob, and for Wayne being able to cover down while I'm gone. All right. Well, this morning, we're going to be finishing out the chapter. We're looking at verses 16 through 20 in chapter 1 of 2 Peter. And uh, I entitled our message, uh, Two-Factor Authentication. Two-Factor Authentication. Actually, it should be 16 through 21. Forgive me if I said that wrong or if I have that printed wrong. We'll finish out the whole chapter. All right. Well, if you're there, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of God and His Word, and some great verses here. Peter writes, "For we did not follow cunningly devised fables, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we're eyewitnesses of His Majesty. For He received from God the Father honor and glory." when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, as Peter recounts and quotes, that this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And he says, and when we heard this voice, which came from heaven, when we were on with him on the holy mountain, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the Day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And then he says, and knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. All right. there, there's a lot of great stuff going on in that section of verses. Uh, Why don't you take a moment? You can greet your neighbor, introduce yourself to somebody new, and then have a seat, and we'll unpack these verses together. It seems more and more these days with technology and uh, apps and emails, uh, there are safety protocols that require you to ensure that you are the authorized user right, to access your accounts and your emails and your apps. And everything else. And so they, they have this thing they call the, the two-factor authentication, where it's not just your password, but now you got to do something else to establish the fact that that's who you are. And, I, and to be honest with you, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of those things because I can barely remember my passwords. Uh, just the first step, you know, one factor authentication I have trouble with. Um, I, I basically just use the same password for almost everything, and, and the staff knows that. And I think if they ever wanted to do something nefarious, they could. Um, but you know, my, my mindset is, like, I really have nothing to hide. Like, it it's fine. Like, you want to log in and look at the things that I look at? Go for it. You're going to be bored, you know. Um, um, it's a lot of food and, you know, uh, cookies stuff. <laughs> uh, and i'm not really i'm not really too worried about anybody hacking my bank account cuz i feel like if someone was clever enough and had the acumen to hack my bank account and they saw how much was in there i think they would want to put money in right they would be like <laughs> let's help this guy out you know and so um yeah so supposedly two factor authentication is a is a secure way to help prevent fraud and and i thought about that in in terms of what peter is writing here cuz uh he he has his heart's desire for his reader for you and me as we're going to see as we get into chapter 2 he he wants to help prevent us from spiritual fraud uh he's going to lay out the cautions and dangers in great detail of false teachers and a false gospel and just being deceptive and and all of these things and and, and we've already seen that that what's important to Peter as he's writing this letter and 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 it's pro probably his last letter. You know, we've talked before, this is maybe his swan song, so to speak. And that is that he wants to ensure that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news and the power of the gospel, that it goes forth undistorted and unforgotten. The last few sections, you might remember, he says, as long as I have breath and I can see you with my eyeballs, I'm going to be making known to you these things. I'm going to remind you of these truths, though you know them. We're going to have review, and I'm going to repeat them. And he says, in fact, even after I'm gone, that that's my life goal. That's going to be my legacy. I want to make sure that you do not forget the power of the gospel, the goodness of God, the grace of God. Um, you know, he wants it proclaimed and he wants it perpetuated. And so he seeks then to to fortify the heart of his reader. And then also in the head, the heart and the head uh, of the absolute certainty. And with that, the security then we have in the Lord. And and it's important that that they, as he's writing to his original audience, and of course, as we read it today, understand, I'm going to have to qualify this, especially in light of false teachers and false claims and ideologies and everything else that comes our way that we get bombarded with, that he's going to describe in chapter two, that we understand and get locked into these things. And so he, he will testify of truth and he will authenticate it in two ways, if you will. He's going to authenticate it by first his own testimony his his own uh attestation uh, uh by experience the things that he saw and heard what he witnessed and then by what he calls the prophetic word made more sure this basically the scripture in it being verified and so this morning we're going going to unpack each of these verses as best we can uh, to understand them hopefully but I think, Mary, more importantly, that we would then apply these truths. And of course, they're connected, our understanding and application. So I draw your attention back to verse 16 as we make our way through this. He says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables. We did not follow cunningly devised fables. Peter feels it's important to underscore the fact that the foundation of our faith. It is not built on fairy tales or mythology or fables. And, and this fact is going to stand in stark contrast to the deceptive, to the destructive heresies that he's going to describe that lure people by appealing to the, to the lusts of their flesh, power, power, and money, and position, and fleshly desires, that, that all of that, which produces a, a false faith and a counterfeit Christianity, it's going to be in contrast to that. The this, this statement also refutes the, the very um, heretical claims that Jesus, his life, his birth, His miracles, his death, his resurrection, this heretical claim that that was just a made up story, that that didn't really happen. But that was just some story that the disciples made up and they were perpetuating and they're trying to, you know, get this following. I mean, as soon as Jesus rose from the dead, there was a. that day launched a ca- campaign by the devil himself of evil to try to twist the truth and cancel the message of the cross and the resurrection. And, and gang, uh, you know, it's, it's a lie from hell that still prevails today. There are still voices around us today that try to claim that Christianity is just a man-made religion. Well, it's just an amalgamation, uh, you know, uh, an amalgamation. Is that the right word? It's a collection. Um... Uh, of you know, Eastern religions and Eastern myths and the, these old world religions that are kind of put together. And, and I'll just say this plainly. I think in, in a world in which we live as the original audience lived in, in which our faith is vilified um, and the Bible is uh, attacked, it's undermined, it's, it attempts to be discredited it is vital that we are convinced and that we are secure in the scriptures. And, and I know that we've been saying this in different forms of this statement along the way, and, and I make no apology. That's really what Peter is going to continue to say. Hence, even the title of our series, he wants us to, to grow. And how do we grow? Well, we grow by knowing and reading and living and obeying the word of God. That we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord, and that comes primarily through the Word. And and again, I'll I'll just share a heart. Like for us here at Calvary, I I I think there's such a need for us as a church and as Christians to mm, I I think both cultivate and maybe I'll say protect like we uh, a, a biblical literacy. And promote that. You know, to teach biblical truths to our kids and to our teens. And to help them to understand why we believe what we believe. And and to know how to explain that as as we're going to hear. Like, you know, be able to give a defense for the hope that we have. The reason for this hope that we have. And to know that these are not myths, these are not fables, these are not cleverly devised stories taken from all these different religions of the East and put together, and this is, you know, but this is truth. And it's important for us that we uh yeah, that, that that we cultivate a, a biblical literacy. And so thank you, thank you for coming, and, and thank you for being a part, and um, this is, you know, one of our aims, we we'll go through, and why we go through, just systematically, it's expositional, systematic, we're going to take a book, we're going to go chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, so that hopefully we cultivate a biblical literacy, Now we'll understand what the scripture says, and, and why do we believe the things that we believe, and so that's Peter's aim, he wants to affirm and assure the reader of this fact, and he does so by... Uh, Stating again these two things, his experience, and then again the, the the scriptures in themselves, and so he says we're we're on, we're not following we're not following these stories we're not making this this stuff up. He says when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and so we know that Peter preached the gospel to them, that they came to faith. By the grace of God, in Christ alone, and faith alone, according to the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. And along with that gospel, he also preached this very important truth. And this particular phrase, may known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, On one hand, we could say, okay, that applied to when he first came, the first advent, uh, Christmas, which, by the way, it's less than 100 days away from now. Isn't that crazy? Is that right? Hopefully I didn't say the wrong thing. <laughs> it's coming soon. I'll just leave it that way. But in using this phrase, Peter's describing specifically the promise of the return of Jesus Christ. See so that, that word coming in the original Greek, it's the word uh, parousia. And, and it conveys, conveys the idea of, of, the, of visiting, uh, the visiting of, an, of a nobility or a king or a dignitary. And, and implies even more than a visit, it implies the idea of coming and a remaining. This coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, or maybe for us, we can accurately say the coming again, the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is really the great hope that we have as a church, that Christ came, he lived and he died and he rose again for you and for me. And he says, I'm coming back. And so we then have this hope and Peter's going to say this hope purifies us. This hope anchors us to heaven. And it's the hope that we have And the Lord promised. He says himself in John chapter 14, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will then take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also John 14 verses two and three. And so this is the, the, the parousia, the return of Christ, the coming again of Jesus Christ. And so Peter is writing to this and say, listen, uh, these, these weren't fairy tales. This wasn't, uh, some man-made story that we, you know, concocted when we made known to you the power and the coming, the promise of that of Jesus Christ. And so what, what do we take away from this? Again, we, the idea is that we, we have to anchor our faith or we, our faith can be anchored on the fact. And I would add, and then we live according to that fact that Jesus Christ is coming back for us. And, and, that, and Peter will get into the, the details of that in chapter three. And, I, and I, love, uh, I love chapter three in the way that he orients us because he orients us forward and upward. Right? He's going to say, uh, you know, my paraphrase, it's all going to burn, baby. Don't get attached too much to earthly things because it's going to go up in a a giant divine bonfire. And if that's the case, if that's what's going to happen, then how should you and I live then? And he's going to say, and when we look forward to these things, we're oriented in that way. That's the Christian orientation forward and upward. And again, it's, it's a good, uh, Consideration, it's a good provoking, if I can call it that. It causes us to pause and make an evaluation of where our life is, our pursuits, our priorities, what are we investing in. We talked about that last week. And we anchor our faith and live according to the truth that, that Christ is coming again in power. You know we'll talk more about this in coming weeks. And so Peter asserts the truth of the return of Christ. And that should be a catalyst for us to get right and live right. Then he adds, well, but we were witnesses of his majesty. We didn't follow these cunningly device fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Uh, The apostle Peter, the disciple Peter, he saw Jesus with his own eyeballs. He hung out with him. He ate with him. He talked with him. He traveled with him. And I think, you know, Peter, who's writing this letter, even though he introduces himself in each of his letters, and, and, you know, in this one, it's Simon Peter, a bondservant, and apostle of Christ. I don't think Peter really needed much of an introduction. I don't think in the early church in those days, they're like, Peter, who's Peter? I don't think he needed to wear a name tag and be like, well, hey, I'm Pete. Sometimes they call me Rocky. You know, I walked on water with Jesus. Yeah, I'm that guy. Right? They, they knew exactly who he was. And so what is he testifying to? I mean, certainly he could testify to the fact that he walked and talked and ate and, you know, walked on water with Jesus. Um, he was an eyewitness to those things, to the many things that Jesus did and said, the miracles. He got to participate in those things. He had a special invitation to a, a number of things that happened. Very special um, But I I suggest to you, he's talking about something very specific here. He's alluding to a very particular time that uh, marked, uh, you know, in his heart um, that he was there. Now, this is his first factor of of authentication. You know, eyewitness testimony is powerful. You can say, I was there and I saw it. I mean, even today in courts of law, you know, if someone can have a witness to what your claim is. You're an eyewitness to an incident, an accident, uh, something that happened. You can uh, corroborate the account. Well, that, even today in the court of law, that gives a lot of weight to the testimony. Now, if there's just one witness, then sometimes you can try to discredit that witness. And so it's, it's one thing for one person to make a claim. I saw this with my own eyes. And I promise and I swear and I was there and I heard it and I saw it. Uh, so there, it's one thing for one person. But if you have multiple people making the same claim, well, then that adds just this exponential strength to that claim. And that's really what the gospels are. In fact, uh, I, I think it's interesting that Peter, you know, with me, there's a pronoun change. From verses 12 through 15, he says, uh, "For this reason, I won't be negligent, and uh, I think it's right. as long as I'm in, I'm in this tent, that I'm going to put off this tent, and I'm going to I'll be careful." And then when you get to verses 16 through the rest of uh, this chapter, the pronoun changes to we." And so it, it's Peter. He's an eyewitness, but it's not just Peter. There were others too. And and if we're talking about the fact that Jesus lived and died and and his resurrection, Paul writes to the Corinthians and he talks about the resurrection in uh, chapter 15, verse 6. He says, in fact, after that, after Jesus rose again, it wasn't just the disciples who saw him. More than 500 people saw him with their own eyeballs. And he says that many of them are still alive today, so you can go and ask them. Go have coffee. Go get a falafel and go talk with them about it. says so some of them have passed away. And so Peter wasn't the only one. There were other disciples. There were other people. There were, you know, more than hundreds who saw and heard Jesus. But again, I don't think Peter is making a general argument of the three and a half years that he saw and heard and walked and talked with Jesus, but that he has a very specific occasion in mind. And it wasn't just him. The synoptic gospels, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record for us this event what Peter is referring to. And it's often just called the Mount of Transfiguration. It's when Jesus took Peter and James and John, and he took them up into this high mountain. And the mountain's not named, by the way, in any of the gospels. A lot of people believe it's Mount Um, Herman Herman, up in the north, um, which, by the way, um, I was talking to Jonathan about this morning uh, going to Israel. And so that trip, May 17th through the 27th, uh, we will go um, to the area of Dan, Caesarea uh, Philippi, and we'll get eyeballs on Mount Hernan. Um, We'll go to the top where we can even see Syria. And we usually ask the tour guide to turn around and we just throw rocks in the, try to, there's a big landmine there. Anyways, um, (laughs) but it's from Mount Hernan where, you know, the headwaters of the Jordan flow. It's beautiful, drink the water, it's amazing. Um, But so many people believe that that's where Jesus would take the disciples up into that high mountain. But it's not so much the place as to what happened in that place. And what happened in that place is where this is what Peter's referring to, right? At at the summit, they had this sneak preview of coming attractions of their savior. And Peter recounts that in these next two verses when he says, and we were there, we were eyewitnesses. Well, what, what were you eyewitnesses of? In verse 17, he says, for he received, speaking of Jesus, he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. The voice that boomed from heaven that declared, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. God the Father would declare that. We have record of three times. The beginning of his ministry, here um, on the Mount of Transfiguration, and towards the end of his ministry. When Jesus walked in the earth. And he says, and we heard this voice. Again, notice it's we, it's not just him. There's others that can corroborate his account, but he's the one bringing forth this voice that we heard from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so Peter talks about this literal mountaintop experience that he had with Jesus. And Luke chapter nine, verses 28 through 43 is one of the accounts that you can read that. But the guys were there And I find it a little uh, funny, you know, they they end up falling asleep. It seems Uh, in in many occasions where it's kind of important for the Lord, they, they end up taking a nap. They took a little nap, they're taking a little siesta, and all of a sudden, boom, there's bright light, dazzling white. Jesus transformed in front of their eyes. That's why they call it the transfiguration. And he was shining like the son. And then God, the father speaks from heaven, declaring his love and his affirmation, validating the identity once again of Jesus as the son of God. Now Peter doesn't recount the fact that he freaked out. He was so in awe and shock. He's like, let's just camp right here, right? fact, it's an amazing account because if you're familiar with it, you know that in many ways it was the summit meeting where Old Testament saints, we'd say maybe representatives of Moses and Elijah of the prophets in the Old Testament, the law, they're summiting on the mountain, a preview of coming attractions. And so Peter basically saying, we were there we have front row seats to his exclusive preview showing. We saw Jesus in his glory and his majesty. We heard the father speak. And he testifies. I promise it's all true. Me and the boys were there and we saw it. In many ways, we'd say this is a, you know, a, a biblical, it's Peter's reel before Instagram. The experience was incredible to him. And so he relays that, and and he lays that out just to say, listen, these things that I'm bringing to you, I can testify they're true. They're absolutely true. I'm a partaker of that. I'm a witness of that. I saw this with my own eyes. I've experienced these things. And so I'm adding to my, uh, you know, uh, authentication of this message that I believe this and I'm living this. It's important to me. And, and there's, there's a part of that that's, that's good. It's important. That We can bring validation to the things that we believe and know that we believe them. And, and to be like Peter, you know, not have any doubts. Like I know what I believe and I know where I'm going. And I know that Jesus is real and that heaven is real and hell is real and the gospel is real. And that God's love for you is real. These aren't stories. This isn't just platitudes. It's historical fact. You know, there, there there's a part where experience um, is important and to know this. You know, sometimes uh, you guys know I like to use a lot of food analogies and so sometimes so people will come out depending on what food analogy I use, they'll they might come to me and they'll say, Oh, uh you mentioned, you know, just I'm leaving so you don't have to make me anything. Sometimes when I make these things, people are like, Oh, I'm gonna make that for him. Like that's not that's not I'm sharing that. There's no hidden agenda. I just wanna use an illustration. Okay. Um might say, oh, like I had the best, you know, snickerdoodles or whatever, because that's that is my favorite cookie. So I get back on October 2nd. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, then someone's like, someone will come and say, Oh, I I make I make really good snickerdoodles, or they'll say, my my wife or my spouse makes really good snickerdoodles. And my, my line back usually when someone makes a, a claim to me, what they'll say, those are just words to me. <laughs> those are just words to me. Let me be the judge of such statements. Right? <laughs> I want to experience that for myself, right? That's what Peter's saying. It's like, I, I, I've experienced this for myself. It's just not a claim. It's just not something that was told. I, I live this and I believe this. And so he brings the weight of his own personal experience to the table to encourage them, to let them know where he stands. But then notice with me as we continue to read he says in verse 19, and so we have a prophetic word confirmed. Or your translation might say a more sure word or a more sure prophetic word, which you would do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now, uh, that verse can be a little ignatic, right? It can be a little difficult to kind of pull apart and understand. First of all, we have to understand just some of the terms he's using. So the phrase prophetic word, I want to suggest to you refers not just to prophecies as we often understand them in terms of the major and minor prophets that we read in the old Testament. But I would suggest to you that it refers to the entire old Testament scriptures. Of course, if you want to argue, you know, all of the Old Testament was written by prophets in the truest sense, and that God spoke to them, revealed truth to them, and then they, inspired by God, then penned out and spoke out these things that God revealed to them of the coming Messiah, right? All of the Old Testament really is a giant story book that points us, and when I say story, I don't mean fake story, right? True story that points us to Jesus. All of it. And so the phrasing, prophetic word, I want to submit to you means all of the scripture. I want to be real specific. We can just say all of the Old Testament because at this time, right, they didn't have, if you will, the New Testament still being written. In Luke chapter 24 and 27, we're told in Jesus. Beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, says he explained to them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. Which, remember, I to, I, man, I wish Luke would have given us some some of that. <laughs> that incredible Bible study that Jesus had with the two guys in the road to a like. Can you give us a little bit, Luke? Like, man, all of the scripture. And so when we come to this, we can interpret, I think, in two ways or ways to take this verse. One is that Peter, Peter is saying that his experience provides then a greater confidence in the message of the Old Testament scripture. He's saying, okay, my, my experience added to that, then it, we can have greater. It helps to validate the Old Testament. We can look at it in that way. and Okay, that, in one sense, that can be. Right? When we read the New Testament... It, in a sense, validates the Old Testament. All the Old Testament prophecies and promises are revealed and they are um, confirmed in many ways by the New Testament. And so that's one way to look at it. Uh, Another way to look at it is to say that on top of or even greater than Peter's experience, that we have something even better. We have something even more sure. And that is the prophetic word that has been provided for us. And, and in my humble opinion today, I think the language and the context supports the second way better. That the way that the Greek reads supports the idea that Peter is saying, I've had my experience and it's true. It's reliable. I testified to the truth of it, but scripture ranks higher than my experience. I think practically we know that. I mean, experiences, we have them, but they'll fade over time in the sense of our remembering them, our recalling them. Yet the word of God, the Bible says, it remains forever. Our experiences in many ways are subjective. It's how we feel in that moment. We don't have everything. We don't have all the parts and pieces, but the word of God is objective, remains true. Experiences can be interpreted in different ways by people, different seasons. Yet the word of God delivers one very clear message. And I think that's important for us to understand. Certainly Peter had his experience and he would say, he could say, I promise I swear to this. This is true. This happened with me. I saw it. I was there. I heard it. And he gives testimony to that. But you know, Experiences today it seems, by my observation, they're they're often elevated, and sometimes even elevated above scripture. And, and I think we're just we live in in in, in a world today that's very experience oriented. It's very experience driven. I mean, even sometimes within churches. Uh, some of the language will be the worship experience or the experience that we have when we come. And, and so uh, we, we have to be mindful of that. And I think f- for many people, and I would add even including Christians, sometimes they will determine truth by experience alone. And and that, and that can be a dangerous thing. Right? Experience is important. And, and I don't... I don't want to say that we don't have any experience. Obviously, Peter had one and we, we have them. Right? We, we you know, feel and we see and we have our senses and God's given us those things. And, and so certainly we have that and we talked about that. It's important. It's our testimony, things that God has done, things that God has said, but they have a proper place in our life as well. And so even as Peter shares the, the glory and the splendor of his experience, the wow factor of it that we would say, okay, his testimony is true. It's reliable. And yet Peter would say, yes, but our experiences should be held in submission to scripture. There's a place in which our experience sits in regards to its authority on truth. And gang, I think that's important for us because we talked before. So I'm going to review a little bit because there are times when we read the word of God, and the word of God is true. The word of God doesn't change. And God has given us these very precious promises. And yet there can be at times when we experience something that seems contrary to what we read in that moment. If God is good and his thoughts towards you are continually good, that God wants to give you a future and a hope, then why did this terrible thing happen to me? Why is our family going through this? Why is there disease? And why is there death? And why, why, you know, we can make an evaluation. And sometimes what happens, we're tempted to let go of what we know, even in light of what we don't know, because we experience it. And it's painful. And it's hurtful. It's confusing. And we say, well, because that experience and that emotion is real, I'm going to hold on to that. And and that's a very slippery slope. And so we we have to submit those things to the Lord, to the authority of of the word. That it alone rightfully can judge our experiences and rightfully determines our faith and practice. And and so I, I think this is important because Peter isn't promoting the idea like, okay, everyone should go to Mount Hernan then sign up for the Israel trip and go with Rick and get some uh, Magnum ice cream bars and, uh, and go experience the glory in the mountain. Right. He's not advocating that. I mean, he had an amazing experience, no doubt. But I, I want to suggest that his claim here, though, is that the written holy scriptures are more dependable than a voice from heaven heard with a natural ear. That we have the prophetic word of God provided as a better, as a surer foundation than even signs and wonders, the things that we might experience or or see. And again, I I think that's important. I I, I suggest the reason why is, aside from our own corruptible interpretation and and memory of our experiences, is that later in this letter, we're going to discover that one of the things that the false teachers uh, were doing was that they're trying to turn people away from truth, turn them away from the Word of God, by ta- by taunting, ta- ta- by offering uh, a deeper experience, a-, a different type of experience that was contrary to the Scripture, or they'll try to assert their their authority like claiming that they had some supernatural experience with the Lord without any kind of evidence, with nothing to, to, there was no second factor cooperation. It's just their claim. And again, you think about today how often cult leaders and false, uh, you know, faiths, uh, apostate preachers, how they often will trick and dupe people. They make this erroneous claim. They claim they had a supernatural vision that God came and spoke to them directly. And there's no second factor authentication. They just claim it. They just make a claim that God chose me um, solely, came to me in a dream and told me where I can, you know, go and make this another testament. And go follow this thing and, and gave me the special revelation. And, and that, you know, that happens. We live in a world that's like that. And there's whole religions that are following someone who made a claim. You know, Paul told the Galatians, he says in Galatians 1.8, that even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that you have heard, let him be accursed. In fact, there's going to come a time when in the last days, false prophets will come. And they will come with signs and wonders. They will wow people with miraculous and supernatural things. And people will get hooked by that into the experiential. Wanting to see, wanting to experience these things and be wooed by the, the, the emotions. Then heads and hearts will follow and, and people get Drawn away from the truth. And so church family, I want to say this in love to us. Do not chase signs and wonders. Do not get lured into the type of hype, of experiential and emotion-based form of Christianity. Of spirituality that has little of God's word, if any. And a lot of exciting of the senses. So Peter says, I had this experience. I can testify that it's true. I was there and I heard it. But we have this word that's more sure. And then he says, and you'll do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. And so what, what, what will we do well for us if we heed the scriptures. Certainly in context, the idea of the Old Testament that shines a light on the truth that Jesus was the Messiah. But I think for us in totality, it's all of the scripture today that we need to keep to the word of God. The Psalmists declare in Psalm 119, 105, that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's the word of God that illuminates the darkness that allows us to see. At this dark place that we, that he's referring to, I, I think it's just the world that we live in. And the imagery of that phrase to heed as a light, heed as a light. It's a nautical term. It's the idea of keeping your ship safe by heading in the right direction and be able to see where you're going. It's the idea that the, God's word is like a lighthouse that will shine the light on dangers in your path so you don't crash and sink. That's the idea of that whole phrase, heating this light. He says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart, Until the day dawns, that that speaks of a limit or an end. We we need the light of God's word to guide us in this dark world so that we don't stumble, so that we don't crash and burn. But that will happen until it's outshined by the break of day and and the the morning star arises. Again, in context, in one sense, you can look at this as the idea of the of the Old Testament pointing to Christ and the New Testament providing illumination of all that the Old Testament had told us those things that were hidden, but now revealed. And so there's that element of it, but also I think in totality, the idea that points us to Christ. See, Jesus said in revelation 22 verse 16, I, Jesus sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches I am the root. I am the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. And so the idea of, of the Lord, you know, and his, our understanding of him and our love of him and the reality of him, if you will, like growing more and more until the day that we see him face to face. The truth of the Bible continues to point us to the source of all truth to Jesus Christ until he returns in glory. And then we have the same experience that Peter has that we'll see him with our own eyeballs too. that we will see the glorified Lord. John says, beloved, now we are the children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. But we know this, that when he appears, when he comes, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Christ purifies himself just as he is pure. And so we have this prophetic word. Peter says we would do well to heed it. Christ is coming back. And then he adds very important 2021, 20 knowing this first that no prophecy of scriptures of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy spirit. And so Peter now Ascribes priority. Here's the important thing we got to understand. No prophecy of scripture is any private interpretation. He sets forth a foundational principle for us. And if you're still with me, I want to give you three key words. I think we need to define real quick to make sure we understand this prophecy, private and interpretation. When Peter uses the word prophecy here, he's not talking necessarily about the supernatural prediction of some, you know, future event. Prophecy certainly can, can mean that, but it's not limited to that. Uh, in the original Greek, the word prophecy or pro it literally means just to uh, forth-tell. To bring forth something. And it has, it's not attached. There's no connotation of prediction. But I think today when we often hear that word prophecy, we automatically just attach prediction to it the forth telling of the future. And it certainly includes that, but it's not that the majority uh, of how this word is used in scripture. It's the idea that we are forth what God has declared. It is the authoritative declaration of what God has revealed. And so the basic definition of prophecy really is just the proclamation of the word of God. And, And arguably that's what we're doing now, right? This is a ministry of prophecy. We're bringing forth the word of God, declaring what God has revealed in his word. And so that's prophecy. The idea of private or one's own, it's the idea that definitely means, um, specifically means belonging to an an individual, like your name's on it. It's your tumbler. It's your cap. It's your toothbrush. It's not shared. Like your socks and your underwear are not community right like they, they specifically belong to you. We can share the couch, we can share the TV, you can share the the cooking pan uh, you know and, and and all the stuff in the fridge but uh, but the fig Newtons with your name on it that that's yours. Do not eat them, Ben and Christy, right <laughs> It's important because again, one of the characteristics of Paul the false prophets and false teachers was they're going to speak their own thing. They're going to have their name, their label to it. I have this new thing they would claim. God revealed this only to me. Now I have this insight as their claim. That's their own private encounter with Jesus as they claim, or their own private encounter with an angel. And so Peter is saying, nope, that, that's not it. And then lastly, the word interpretation. And I suggest to you, this is where a lot of confusion comes from, this understanding of this verse, because normally when we see that word like prophecy, we have a pre-idea of definition. And when we hear the word interpret, we often think of like, oh, that's how to decipher. That's the process of understanding a particular passage. And that's appropriate. Certainly, that's what I'm doing now, right? I'm interpreting what the word interpret means to you. But in the context, Peter's not describing for us how the Bible or the scriptures are interpreted or deciphered, but rather how they originated, how they came to be. And the context of 20 and 21 supports that. Peter's point is this. We should understand that absolutely no portion of scripture came into existence based upon any prophet's own idea or their own individual thought. That's basically, I understand that this wasn't somebody's idea. It wasn't their own private origin. And Again, that's what a lot of claims are made to People are like, Oh, the Bible's written by, they're just, it's just written by men, mere men, sinful men, fallible men. They just made stuff up. And, and Peter is saying, Nope. It was written by men. It was written by individuals who lived, that God chose, and the authors sat down to write. But it wasn't their ideas, it wasn't their stories, that the Holy Spirit inspired them, and yes, through their personality. It's truth through personality, their perspective, their experiences. and yet God moved in them. God inspired them. They didn't write their own conclusion. It wasn't their own philosophy on what love is and what life is and what Jesus will be, right? It's just one continuous story of one message of God's love and sending a savior for us. And so Peter just ends with the fact that the ultimate source of the scriptures, of the holy scriptures is the Holy Spirit. It's not fabricated. God inspired people. Yes, God dictated to them. And then they spoke forth what God gave them. That's prophecy. And they wrote it out as God gave it to them. That's scripture. And so we'll close here. Church family, we grow as the children of God, as the people of God. When the spirit of God then teaches us through the word of God. It's those dynamics. When we read the word of God as the spirit of God inspired these men, the spirit of God then illuminates in our hearts as the people of God. And the Bible then is authoritative because it teaches that Jesus is the Lord. God's love is revealed and our hearts are ruled. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your word, for your truth. For these life lessons that you provide. And God, I pray that we'd heed to these things. That we'd understand these things. That we would give importance to this. That we don't need to go climb a mountain. That we don't need to travel some uh, thousands of miles away to to try to experience and see you. And have some kind of, you know, um, supernatural experience. God, You speak. You speak to us today. And people are looking for parting clouds and bright lights and to be wowed uh, and moved. And yet, Lord, for us, we can open the word of God and allow your spirit to illuminate. Allow your spirit to speak to us. And I pray, Lord, that we would not think little of this amazing fact that we have your word. It's a sure foundational for us. And so, Lord, may we be lovers of your word and followers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, church family, God bless you guys. I pray you have an amazing rest of the day.